All right. So let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer out loud, but how did everybody's sleep go this past week? How did it go? How is, is, was that an easy soul training exercise that we unloaded last Sunday? Or was that, was that tough? Uh, did you find it challenging to get to bed at a good time and get some good rest? Now, it, if you're new with us, this is your first Sunday here with us at GRX, um, welcome. Glad that you're here with us. Um, we've just begun a new series of messages called The Good and Beautiful God. It's in conjunction with a book by that same title by James Bryan Smith. Um, now, if you're a small group, uh, is reading this book together, if your life group is reading this book together, we're now in chapter two. This is the second message, so second chapter of the book. There are discussion questions all throughout the chapter you can talk about, and also as a small group, there's a, there's a discussion guide at the end in the appendix at the back of the book, so you guys can talk about that. But what I love about this book is that there are soul training exercises. And last week's exercise, which we talked about, was the exercise of sleep, the discipline of finding rest. Because let's face it, none of us get enough rest, right? We don't get the rest that we need. And when we don't rest well, we don't, when we don't sleep well, our creativity goes down, our production is, uh, drops off, our capacity to problem solve diminishes, and, and we're tired. And when we're tired, I don't know if you're like this, but when, when I'm tired, and I get a lot more impatience, and then around the house, I become like Mr. Cranky Pants, and it's just not really fun. And the author of this book, James Brown Smith, says that exhaustion is the number one enemy towards spiritual formation, towards our spiritual development. If we are tired in our bodies, we're just not going to be able to care well for our souls. And so that was last week. That was the first exercise. It was an exercise to get us rested in order to prepare for the exercises that are to come. And so each week, we'll be introducing a new soul training exercise, an invitation to an activity so that our souls will be more in tune with God and that we as a people will know God more and love God more deeply, that our souls will be formed or trained to be more like God and to love God more. So today's topic is God is good. God is good. Seeing and having our souls be tuned to be able to see that God is good. And we're going to start with Scripture because Scripture is the place that gives us the picture for who we understand God to be. And I'm going to share some things out of the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, and just let these passages um, just resonate with you. I'm going to read a couple of passages from Psalms that aren't going to be on the screen And then the third one I'm going to read is actually going to be put up on the screen. Just listen to this. Psalm 34 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 100. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. 
The Lord is good. The Lord is good. You see it again and again in Psalm. And then Psalm 136. It's going to be up here on the screen. It begins like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then it moves into this position where it begins to affirm God's goodness, but God's goodness in creation. The psalmist is pointing our attention to say, God is good, and the way that you can see that is look around. People, open your eyes and see the goodness of God. It says this, to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is scripture itself looking at creation that proclaims that God is good. It looks at creation, it looks at the natural world, and it affirms God's goodness. Listen to this poetry. Listen to this imagery and poetry in Psalm 19 that also says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice that is the voice of all creation, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. A few weeks ago, it had, we had one of those rare occurrences that we have in California. It rained. And I don't know if you were ever out there on the road, but uh, it had rained, and it was kind of this weird rain because there was this really, really dark cloud that was coming across from the bay and blowing inland, And then all around it, it was just blue skies, just beautiful sunshine. But then this really dark gray cloud was coming through and it dropped all this rain and it dropped all this hail. It was really kind of a weird weather system. But then just as all of that passed over, then what happened was that the mist in the air that remained created this incredibly beautiful rainbow. And when you stopped and just took in that rainbow, you could see all the colors and you could say, wow, what an incredible, what incredible creation. What incredible beauty. What a good God in this world. Now, I love what uh, uh, Sir Francis Bacon said And some of you might know him. Francis Bacon is a 17th century uh, English scientist. And he was the guy that actually created what's understood now as the scientific method. 
where you create hypothesis and then you look at empirical data, you test it, and then you analyze all of that. So he's the, sort of the father of empiricalism and all science, but the scientific method. But Francis Bacon said this, a little science, if you study science, a little bit of science estranges a man from God, but a lot of science brings him back. And what I think that means is you could be looking at that rainbow and go, oh yeah, I studied a little bit of science. And yeah, oh yeah, there's the colors of the rainbow and yeah, that's, that's actually uh, what happens in science. Is, yeah, that's, that's, that's Roy G. Biv. That's, uh, I, I look at all those colors, and it's red, orange, yellow, green, G. Biv, blue, indigo, and violet, right? Roy G. Biv, oh yeah, that's, that's science. It explains that. That's what happens. But then if you really look at that, and a lot of science brings you back, I mean, the capacity that our planet can sustain life. And if you look at that and how, like what, what is the probability that our, that our planet has the kind of atmosphere that can hold water vapor in it? And that of all the planets and all of the physics and all the things going on in the universe, that it's our planet that can have clouds. And we're the exact right distance from the sun that we're not too hot and we're burned up and we lose it or we're too cold and we're too far away. And that just at this time that our atmosphere can come together to form water droplets and then that hits the earth and that water droplet that's in the air, the light can shine through and every bit of water then reflects that light and makes that rainbow. The chances of that, the probability of that. People that study probability in mathematics go, it is so unlikely that our world can sustain the kind of life that we have that there has to be a God. Statisticians who look at that go, it is impossible, it's statistically impossible that our world should exist the way that it exists. See, a little science will estrange a person from God, but a lot of science will bring him back. A lot of statistical analysis will go, wow, the planet that we live on, there's no way that this can be just by chance. You know, again and again, even in Scripture, the New Testament affirms that it's in the creative order that we can see God's goodness, God's design for our world. Romans chapter 1 reminds us of this. For His, for God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, means his goodness, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In creation, in nature, in the things that are made, we can see God's goodness, God's eternal power, God's divine nature. Now, as modern people, as people now living in our time in the Bay Area, For us, it is so easy to miss God. And it is super, super easy to miss God's goodness. And I think it's because, in a lot of ways, we're so busy. 
and we're living life and we're in the fast lane and we're going from one activity to the next, to the next, to the next. And we're working and then we're playing and we're doing a ton of stuff and it's really easy to miss God. I mean, who has time to slow down? Who has time to pause long enough to ponder a rainbow or to sit and watch the sunset or to even wake up early enough and watch the sun rise? I mean, that's kind of tough for us to do as modern, active, busy people. It's tough unless we take a shot at being intentional about it. And that is the soul training exercise for this week. That we would become absorbed in creation, in the natural world, to be able to see God's goodness. There are a couple of different ways that we can do this as a soul training activity. One is to just set aside some time this week Set aside a time, cut out a little time out of busyness and take a walk through nature. Take a walk through nature somewhere. Set that aside and notice the beauty around you. Say, I'm gonna do this like for one day this week. You might choose a Wednesday or a Tuesday or something and say, I'm gonna watch the sunset. I'm gonna get up to this place and I'm just gonna watch the sunset and be with God and notice God's goodness in this. Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, we did this soul training exercise with our GRX staff about five months ago. And the way that one of our staff people did it was they said, okay, we'll go on this nature walk. We'll kind of see what, what we see. And they took their son with them. And it is amazing what little kids will notice out in nature if you go out with them and you have the time to notice. And so as this staff person was walking along and they were walking along with their kid, kids started to find some leaves and if you could imagine leaves, if you picture a leaf, you just if you take some time to look at it, what you'll notice is a leaf's not just this random thing. And it's not just this sort of green or even this brown thing that's laying on the ground. You'll notice that a leaf itself has incredible symmetry in it. It has veins running in it. It has design. It has balance. It has functionality. It has individuality. And it has beauty. And in that, we see the creative goodness and the nature of God. And just like each one of these leaves was created completely as an individual, you are created by a good God. Individual to reflect God's goodness and God's glory. Seeing God's goodness in nature and then seeing God's goodness in our lives. So that's the soul training exercise. Take a look around, set aside a time, one day this week, and then if you are in a small group, 
be your opportunity to share in that group what did you do? What did you see in nature? And then did you see God's goodness? Now, as modern people and thinking people, you know, it'd kind of be easy to just say, well, God is good. You know, God is good. And, you know, sometimes there are churches that kind of, just like Jeff started, you, you know, they kind of get folks riled up and say, God is good all the time. And the congregation shouts back, and all the time, God is good. You know, and, 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 and you can kind of get into that. But one thing I'd like to suggest for us today is to delve a little bit more deeply into this. Because I know at GRX, we're, we're thinking, we're really thoughtful, and we're really engaged in the world. Sometimes, to just simply say, God is good, is a hard thing to just say. I mean, you say, yeah, God is good, God is good. But if you dig a little bit deeper along the surface, sometimes that's a hard thing to say. And sometimes it's hard because we think about it like this. And sometimes our world, our culture thinks about it like this. If God is all good and God is all powerful and God is all loving, why is there bad in our world? Then why is there brokenness and why is there suffering in our world? I mean, certainly there's great suffering in the world. You read the news, you read CNN, you see stuff online. And it's important to recognize that there's a couple of starting places. When we start at Scripture, we affirm that God is good. But then when you start in the world, you go, man, the world is a bad place. How can God be all good? But if you start in the place of the world and you try to understand God, it's like, what's going on here? This is a whole area of theological study. It's actually called theodicy. Huge books have been written on it. But it basically looks at, if God is all good and all loving, why is there brokenness? Why is there suffering? And so I do feel like it's important for us to look at these really, I'm going I'm to give you three uh, things to think about in the arena of theodicy. God is all good, God is all loving, and yet we live in a broken uh, world where there's suffering. First thing I want to say about this is, God is all good, and God is all loving. But the first part of that is that within that, there is freedom. God lays out in his word a good way to live, a loving way to live. Scripture says, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love other people. That's the big part. That's a big part of God's message to us. But for love, to be truly love, there must be freedom. There has to be freedom in love. There has to be freedom. Love, devotion, true commitment from the heart has to be expressed in relationship out of total and 100% freedom. You cannot get love out of coercion. You cannot get love out of coercion. And because we know that's true about love, freedom to choose is foundational in loving. You have to be free to choose. Because if there's no freedom, there is no true love. But what freedom brings is also the choice 
to not love. And when people do not choose the way of love, when people do not choose to freely love God and love people, that's when we see abuse in our world and we see suffering and brokenness in human relationships. And in the world, there are people that choose not the way of love, but the way of evil or the way of abuse or the use of power for the sake of self-profit. And that is one of the great sources of suffering in the world. Brokenness, profit-seeking, power-seeking at the expense of other people. So God is good, all good. God is all loving and all powerful. But yes, there is still suffering in the world because in the freedom that God gives us, some will make the choice for the abuse of power and self-gain that causes suffering. That's the first thing. All loving, all powerful, but there's freedom. Second thing is this in theodicy, that there are also things in the world that look bad to us, but that God has a plan and that God uses these things to display his goodness and his glory. Last week, there were some of us that were in the men's group here at GRX and we went to go see this movie called The Dropbox. I'm gonna share a little bit about this and uh, if you are uh, one of those people that really hates it when somebody shares about a movie and then completely spoils it, then I'm going to say to you, get ready for disappointment. <laughs> I'm going to totally spoil this movie. But this movie was so awesome. This movie was so awesome. Okay, this is what this movie's about. This movie, The Dropbox, is about a pastor and his wife in Seoul, Korea. And they discovered that in their city, there were babies. And there were babies that were being abandoned on the street by people who could not care for them. These babies are left out on the street, especially in the winter in Seoul. It gets really, really cold. And the likelihood that these babies who are abandoned would just just die of of exposure. Um, And they created this... uh, box. It's basically a box in the wall of their house. And it has two doors on it, one on the outside and one on the inside. And a baby is placed into the box anonymously by someone on the outside. And then when the door's shut and the baby's inside, a small alarm goes off inside the house like a little electronic doorbell that goes ding dong, ding dong. And that signals that there's been a baby that's been placed inside. And so then Pastor Lee and his wife, they, they, they come on down and they open the inside door of the drop box. And there is a child. And they bring this baby into their home. The baby is wrapped up. Sometimes there's a note. And the stories, the stories are heart-wrenching. Many times the children are left in the drop box because they have mental or physical challenges. Like maybe they were born with cerebral palsy. And then the mother, she's alone. Maybe she's a teenager 
She's isolated. And, and just her situation, where she is in culture and society, she cannot care for her child. Now, what is so striking about watching Pastor Lee, when he opens the drop box and when he takes out the baby, he begins to pray. He prays immediately. And this is his prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that a life is saved tonight. It's a life that's being saved from being left out on the street. It's a life of a child that's going to be raised in a situation, coming out of a situation where the child wasn't going to be raised well. Here's a remarkable man doing this remarkable work and living out his life in God's glory. But that's not the end of the story. Actually, there's something deeper in this story and there's something more profound. 14 years ago, Pastor Lee and his wife, they gave birth to their son. And their son himself was born with severe mental and physical challenges. He was born, and the doctors, when they saw him and they ran the test, they said, your son, he's, he's, he's going to be needed to be cared for his whole life. He's going to be needed to be fed and washed, clothed, bathed. He's not really going to be able to speak or communicate very well. He'll really just be able to lay there, not really move on his own, and maybe he'll be able to just blink. But you'll have to do everything else and care for him. And so for 14 years, Pastor Lee and his wife were caring for their son in this way. And through their son, God opened their eyes to the incredible value of life itself. Particularly seeing the beauty and the life and the love in children. Their child with special needs. And the children that come through the Dropbox are children with special needs. God's goodness, God's goodness is revealed in ways that sometimes we can't see, but that God has a plan and that God has a design for his goodness to be revealed and reflected through his people and in their lives. And the third and final thing I want to say about this theodicy is this. God is all good and God is all powerful. God is all loving. And yes, there is suffering in the world. But the third thing I'd like to say is probably the most profound expression of what does an all-loving, all-powerful, all-good God do recognizing that there's suffering in the world? That God comes into the midst of that suffering. If you've ever had a friend of yours who you know has suffered a huge tragedy, you know that the best thing that you can do with this friend is to show up 
and be with them in their time of sorrow and walk with them, stay with them, comfort them. Not give them a lot of advice, but be with them in their place, in their darkest hour. That's what God does in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, it is God's response to the suffering and the sin and the brokenness and the abuse in our world. It is God who took on human form in Jesus Christ, who suffered, was abused, and died on the cross for the forgiveness of the sins of all of humanity and all of the brokenness in all of humanity. And then he rose again on the third day at Easter time. Victory over sin and death so that we might be forgiven and that we as a people might receive the greatest gift that a good God can give us, which is eternal life with him in heaven. This is the good God that we worship. This is the all-loving, all-powerful God who entered into the world's suffering and then makes a way for us to experience his goodness for eternity. The soul training exercise this week, take a little time. Look for God's goodness taking a sunset, go on a walk, check out some leaves, listen to some birds, look at the color of the sky, enjoy something in nature, and look for our good God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you are a good God, that you are all-loving, that you are all-powerful and that you have created this world full of beauty to reflect your glory. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see you, open up our ears to hear you. God, I pray that you would help us open up our calendars so that we can pause just a little bit this week to see you. God, your word says that the heavens declare your glory. God, may we see your glory in your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.